0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, the gold standard of Aftermarket Business Acumen Podcast. I have a great guest, Corey Glassman. Hey man. Hey, how you doing? I am Greg Corey Glassman with ASE Now, Electric Vehicle Consultant with ASE. So everyone knows we're talking EVs and EV certifications, right, Corey?
1: Yeah, we are. We're talking EV certification.
0: And he's been with ASE for a bunch of time now, maybe 18, 19 months, something like that, right?
1: Yeah, I've been associated with ASE for many years. ASE, well, past triple certified, so I've worked in the industry, was twisted a wrench. And then before that with Fluke Corporation.
0: It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. But rest assured, Napa Auto Care is addressing that one tech at a time with your help. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician through nine stages of curriculum, earning four ASE certifications throughout the program. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store's sales rep. Let me just give you a little background of this guy, because he has a storied career. He earns an automotive degree. He goes to work for some OEMs and then independent shops as a technician. And then it's the Air Force, Tactical Air Command, Weapon System Instructor, Automotive Instructor at the Denver Institute of Technology. And then he spends 31 years, as he claims the adventure of a lifetime is the Automotive Program Manager, Marketing and Training Manager, big title, for Fluke. Wow. How many people (laughs) can relate to having a Fluke in their hands? He developed test equipment and training programs for the automotive industry. The Fluke 87, Fluke 78, Fluke 88, and the Fluke 98 Automotive Scope Meter are some of the products he helped develop. Wow. You're more than qualified to be in the automotive.
1: (laughs) I did. And my passion's with cars,
0: I'll tell you. We're here to talk about EV certification. And the, the coolest thing in the world is it's called XEV. And so, help explain to our listener what X in the EV means. Sure.
1: When I was developing and developing the framework for the standard and in the research, electric vehicles, first of all, aren't new to the industry. In fact, in some of the research, you know, some of the first EVs were actually developed, gosh, The turn of the last century, not even this century. So they've been around for a long time. And a lot of people listening to the podcast probably understand that, you know, they've been working on hybrids for a long time or some other electrified vehicle, 42 volt or anything else. And when we were researching a lot of this, there is a term that the industry uses called XEV. And all it is inclusive of different levels of voltage and different types of systems. That should be considered as part of the standard that we developed for
0: electrical safety. That's so true. I mean, I've done research and up on my community page, EVs, BEVs, EREVs, FCEVs, HEVs, MHEVs, and of course, PHEVs. We need some new acronyms. When you understand what they all mean, and probably most who are listening do, you put X in front of that and and that means all the above.
1: Yeah, and I think what's important to remember is that, you know, and we'll get to talking a little bit more about this standard, hopefully, and what brought it about and what it's all about. It shouldn't be focused solely on the brand new vehicles that we're just now seeing from the automotive industry. It should be focused on anything that's electrified. Because when we're talking about electrical safety, similar to my background with Fluke over the many years, electrical safety could, you know, result in dangerous situations and no matter what you're working on.
0: The idea of this podcast and this certification is, you know, diag is one thing, Corey told me, but safety is big. Yeah, and that's saf- what these standards are about, right?
1: It is. I mean, safety crosses all of it, right? We found out, you know, when we look at the industrial industry and we look at a calling in an electrician that's an industrial electrician or residential electrician. You know, they have to be aware of a lot of the electrical safety that keeps them safe as well. And it's all about the voltage levels, the current, the available current and shocking hazards and arc flash, arc blast. All of these are real hazards, even when we're working on electrified sourced vehicles.
0: Now, Corey, you pulled many people from across industry platforms together to help develop these tests. Were you finding out from them how important this is needed? Because we're not playing safely in our bays today,
1: When I started this standard, and I have a, a sort of the the sentence I use, it's in many ways it's the Wild West, right? So some of the manufacturers and some of the shops adhere to very strict alignment with electrical safety, and they've been doing it all along, you know the correct gloves, the correct hearing protection, eye protection, and the right procedures. The manufacturers are no different. And by the way, let me add, the manufacturers have added redundant safety systems into these vehicles, so my hat's off to them. They've done a phenomenal job. But a lot of this electrical safety, it's great to have a reminder of what those policies, the shop policies and procedures for not only the people working on the vehicle, what we term to be a level two, which would be someone that's a high vehicle technician or high voltage vehicle technician, you know, somebody that works on them, but also what we term a level one, which is electrically aware person. It's anyone that can come in contact with an electrified vehicle all the way from a shop or a service advisor, shop foreman, could be somebody that's bringing the vehicle into the bay or talking to a customer about their newly purchased electrified vehicle.
0: Before we go too far, you just brought up two very important critical pieces, level one and level two of the standard. I don't mean to belabor what you just said, but I want everyone to understand that you are actually, we've developed two ASE certifications, the level one and the level two. Level one being Porter, as you said, service advisor, but the level two is for the technician. Could a technician take both?
1: Yeah, they can take both. It applies to both of them. They are separate certifications. And what we found is that a lot of the technicians, they're already familiar with working on a vehicle. What might be new to them is how to secure the bay to stay electrically safe, how to secure components that are left on a bench, or safing a vehicle and working in that environment. But definitely what's new is also that level one, the people that have never had a background with electrified vehicles or even really working on the vehicles as much, but they work in that service area.
0: So there's a vehicle in the bay and if you're level one service advisor, porter, janitor, you've gone and gotten certified and respect what's in that bay, respect the individual who's working on it understand what the hook's all about. Got to have a hook, right? I mean, a lot of people that know that hook, the best we can explain is the lifeguard hook, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Pull somebody away from an electrical shocking hazard because you don't want to become part of that. So you don't want to grab them, right? And there are correct procedures, either a body block or the shepherd's hook, as it's called in many ways, or an electrical, it's insulated. And it keeps you from being part of that circuit if you're trying to disconnect them from that circuit.
0: NAPA is proud to have America's largest network of parts and care with nearly 6,000 auto parts stores and over 18,000 auto care centers. In that spirit, the NAPA auto parts and auto care logos have a new look, carefully designed to be visually alike. This will further cement NAPA as the place to go for consumers when in need of vehicle maintenance. Now, did you know Napa Auto Care was top-rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the Chains and Independent Repair Shops category? These ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit to the repair facility. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit from their continued success. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through NAPA's national marketing by promoting your local repair facility with targeted media in local markets and in proven channels, allowing you to compete with a national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the nationally recognized NAPA brand using the Pro Image Auto Care program. Also, partnering with NAPA SmartSign. Now, it educates your clients with engaging videos that tell the why behind a needed repair or service. You also get access to editable digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. NAPA also offers a credit solution to customers with NAPA EasyPay Consumer Financing with your business name embossed on the credit card. NAPA also gives you an online presence when the consumers search for a local repair facility on NAPA Online using the Auto Care Locator tool, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. From parts to care, from coast to coast, we are one NAPA. Now, if you're interested in partnering with NAPA Auto Care and capitalizing on the latest national marketing campaign, contact your servicing NAPA Auto Parts store sales rep. I'm excited to see that ASC has taken these steps and has basically said, Corey, let's do this thing.
1: You know, a couple of years ago, after, again, we mentioned 31 years at Fluke, I felt it's time that I get back into the automotive industry. That's my passion. And that's what brought me to Fluke originally. And I contacted the CEO of ASE, who I had previous working relationships with. And Tim and I were talking and he said, you know, I am so glad that you contacted me we have a project and we need help with the project. And we think you're the person that can help us. The interesting part is, yeah, my background, not only in automotive, but with teaching electrical safety to the industry, with working with the best tools, I think with BlueCas for the digital multimeters and scopes and other products, and then getting back into the industry to apply all of that talent and bring it all together. And the neat part is I'm independent, so. I didn't really have one way of just looking at something. I was coming in to create a standard that everyone owns. Everyone helped develop.
0: Will there ever be a level three test?
1: There will be a level three. Again, electrically aware. And by the way, electrically aware could also be that parts department person, you know, that brings in a battery. Let's say it's on a pallet, and brings it in. And maybe in shipping, that thing got damaged. And you see it, Maybe it's smoking sizzled or he just sees that there's some damage there. What do you do? And so this deals with some of that. But you asked about level three. Absolutely. So level one, electrically aware. Level two is the technician that works on the vehicle and they're knowledgeable about how to use a manual service disconnect or how to safe the vehicle, but they still can't really work on an active source, which would be the battery or inside the battery replacing blocks or cells or different components. That would be really a level three person. So a level three would need all the knowledge from level one, level two, and then the pinnacle would be level three, because when you're working on a battery that's all network together or all daisy chained together. You could be dealing, especially in heavy duty trucks and some of the other applications, well above a thousand volts, well above hundreds of amps. And that's where you can really have a an arcing incident or arc blast or some type of incident that could be very dangerous.
0: Are these going to be workbook tests or diag?
1: Similar. Again, they can go to the website. And I think you have the email for the website or the address, URL, I should say, www.asc.com slash EV, I believe it's what it is. And they can download the standard and they can read through the standard. So in many ways, that's sort of the workbook, telling them a little bit about what they need to understand and be able to do. So I like to say that it's directive in that it tells them that they shall follow a certain procedure or may follow a procedure, but it's also very informative. So you learn a lot just from reading the standard. And then this is an online test and they can register for the test at that link.
0: Excellent. Okay, so you were telling me something about deal live test. Help our audience understand that.
1: LDL is a term that's used in the electrical industry for live dead live. And what it is is a verification of absence of voltage. Let's just say that you have a battery connected up to the system. You go in and you wear the correct PPE. So you have to wear the correct gloves, the over gloves, the eye protection. In many cases, let's say a cotton shirt or a flame resistant shirt. And that's all detailed in the standard. But you need to be prepared to be able to safe the vehicle before working on it. But once you disconnect the active power from the battery and with the contactors, you need to use a piece of test equipment, a meter or some test instrument to verify that you have no voltage there. So it's called live dead live to test on a live system, which is what's called a proving unit. And a proving unit is just a little portable standard. It provides voltage up to 240 volts and you just Plug the meter into it, it reads 240, that way you understand the knob is set correctly, it's configured correctly, it works. Then you test the unknown, so you go right to that contact or right to that point of disconnect, measure the voltage, it should be zero. Then you verify the operation of the meter again on that live proving unit to say, yes, it's reading. So that's a live, dead, live test. And only at that time can you remove your PPE gloves or PPE and start working on the system because you know it doesn't have any of the voltage applied to it.
0: PPE, you talked a lot about personal protective equipment. Are you finding that we're just not, as an industry, jumping into this? We don't work on EVs. Is it just as important on, say, a lot of the hybrids that are out there or not?
1: First of all, there's an amount of current which is, again, detailed in the standard, but it's a small amount of current, which is the voltage is the pressure and the flow of electrons is the current, but it's a small amount of current that can actually defibrillate or cause your heart to seize up, and it's called a let-go threshold. You can get that amount of current that surges through your body even from a hybrid vehicle. It all depends on the voltage, it all depends on current, and also how you are connected to that circuit the question is an important one that on PPE, a lot of people feel you can use the latex gloves that we find in the shops or something like that. That'll protect you. It won't. Electrical safety gloves are special gloves. They're inspected on a cadence and you have to make sure that there's no holes in the gloves that could allow this high voltage to come in contact with you. If you're touching it and you're grounded could pass through your heart and that could actually stop the heart. So it's important that you follow that and that if you're working on hybrids, electrified vehicles, XEVs, that you do have a good set of the electrical safety PPE.
0: So how long has the test been active?
1: Test has been active, I believe, since May or so, April or May. It took us about a year and a half of working with OEMs and the aftermarkets and trainers and multiple passes of research and modification and to develop the standard where everyone can hang their hat on it and say, well, we're proud of this. This is great. It's something that the industry has needed. And then we entered into the test writing sessions, which are just amazing because we take practitioners that work on the vehicles every single day, and they're the ones that come up with the types of questions that we should ask And then it's reviewed by the peer review, and then we go back in and modify in some cases and come up with questions that we feel very confident with. You know, I've always found that if it's written correctly and done correctly, especially with ASC tests over the years, I've learned just as much off of missing a question that I know, ah, I should have gotten that. You learn a lot too.
0: Test scores, how are they looking?
1: The test scores are actually looking pretty good. I don't have the latest results right now in front of me, but the test results are good. And we also have a lot of the fleets and a lot of organizations signing up for this. One of the reasons for the certification is pride. It's showing that you're doing the right thing. You're maintaining a safe working environment it shows that to the customers. It shows that quite honestly, even to your insurance company. I mean, if you're insured as a shop owner or you you carry liability insurance, you carry insurance. And if you can show them that you have trained personnel and they just completed electrical safety, wow, that's a great thing.
0: I find it fascinating with you saying pride, but I'm also thinking, listen, We know that there's just not enough technicians and or shops that really want to be ASE or require ASE as part of a requirement to work at a shop today. And I think everyone who works so hard and is master technician certified, they just can't figure out why someone wouldn't want to be certified in our industry. But the pride issue is really interesting. But yet if we're going to work on EVs and to a degree, the A8, the level L1, L2, L3, L4, None of those are as important to personal safety than these new XEV tests. That's right. And so is it possible to my audience, to the industry, we can use these XEV ASE certifications to jumpstart your commitment to ASE on a bigger scale? It's a statement about my soapbox. Why not? I love this. It's a sense of pride. But at the same time as an owner who is working on hybrids, who knows that all of these different types of electric vehicles are going to come into your shop. Your customers are going to buy them. There is inertia. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, it depends on the day of the week, the article that you read, where we're going with EVs, the cost, the price, the models, and everything. I mean, it's interesting. There's a positive push. Then there's a, well, can I afford it? Can I afford it? But it's coming. It's inevitable. In order to make sure that shingle of yours is up, that we repair HEVs, EVs, PHEVs, all that, you need to go out and say to yourself, we're going to go out and get this XEV level one, level two done inside of our company. I would think, Corey, if you owned a shop, you'd want your people to have that certification.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it wasn't just my time with Fluke. I was a tech for many years and trained heavily to be able to repair the vehicles. That's one thing we all have in common when you work on the vehicles. It's your kinesthetic, right? You work with your hands, you analyze, you want to understand why something is doing what it's doing, how to repair it. And yeah, I use the word pride, but it goes much deeper than that. You know, when I think about that is something that Again, if you come across a system that you may not fully understand, you pull out service manuals or you pull out some research and you try to get a better understanding of it. In the case of electrical safety, you may not have that opportunity. And I say that because in electrical safety, if somebody is in a shocking incident, if they are being electrocuted, and hopefully that does never, it never happens but you have the possibility of that happening, you want it to be a response mechanism that's built into when. how do you deal with that, right? If you see it, you're in shock. You look at it and that person is holding onto something and you can tell they can't move, their muscles have locked up, they're in an electrocution environment. How do you deal with that? You want it to be a response, sort of this rope memory that it's just built into you so you don't run over and grab them Because that could be bad for you too. So you want to understand how to treat that. When do you call 911? If you see a vehicle that gets towed into the shop, let's say it's been in an accident and it's an electrified vehicle and it gets towed into your shop, maybe they put it right outside the bay, maybe they even tow it into the bay, you start to lift it to see what it's going to take. And that flexing of the frame could have cracked the battery housing and it starts to smoke. What do you do? What do you do? And you need to understand that, and it has to be a common response because it's the right thing to do.
0: We recently released an episode, Remarkable Results, episode 869 with Donnie Hudson and Pat Durham. It was all about EV fires, and Pat has a YouTube channel. He is a fireman, is an engineer, and he's the captain of the Troy... Michigan fire department and very passionate about EV fires. And it was a fascinating episode. I learned so much about chemical fires and exactly to your point, Corey, which in my mind, and I think I was talking off camera to Donnie and to Pat about the, you know, the new ASE test coming out. Donnie's got, I don't know, 20, 30 AAA trucks on the road. I would think that those drivers who are picking up a EV that's been in an accident need to have that level one certification, the XEV level one.
1: They do. You know, you need to understand. And again, this is not about necessarily first responder training. That's probably a whole different line of training that needs to be done for somebody that needs to potentially extract somebody from a vehicle that may have been involved in an incident. And let's say it's on fire or they see the potential for that happening. Do you use Jaws of Life? How do you deal with this? And could you be doing something that would then again, ignite a battery system that the only way to put it out is with flooding it with water, let's say, you know, but you need that knowledge and understanding because again, we're heading into a new world here. I made the comment before, you know, the Wild West, in some ways that's true. You know, we come to this with the latest technology and understanding of our whole background, but it's coming at us very fast and it's changing. You turn on the TV, you see all of the EVs now that manufacturers are putting onto the market. Those are going to find ways into charging stations, into our infrastructure, into the shops. They will.
0: Absolutely. They're coming. We all know it. No one's fighting it. It's just the evolution of when it comes. And you know what? We're smarter than we've ever been before, and we need to anticipate this level of respect, this level of training, this level of certifications. And thank you for ASE to step to the plate and do this for us, because I think it just brings a heightened awareness to the fact that maybe just possibly, I mean, you could put a, a little plug on the wall at home and get electrocuted if you don't know what the hell you're doing. So you that, that's, that's what it's all about.
1: This understanding, I've seen a lot. I've uh, seen. Trained professionals do things that they just shouldn't do. I mean, they know better, but they also have built up some confidence and they say, "Ah, it'll never happen to me. Did you know that, you know, an arc flash incident, it happens in milliseconds, 740 miles an hour. That's the speed that liquefied copper from a bus bar melts or from any other component that reaches the temperature of the sun, and it's projected away from the source of the energy towards the person that's making that energy. 740 miles an hour. It ruptures eardrums, you get cataracts, and unless you're wearing the correct electrical safety gear measured in Cal Therms, it could penetrate whatever you're wearing and go into your skin. And again, that happens in milliseconds milliseconds. I just ask that people respect this. You know, they could say, oh, it won't ever happen to me. And hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't. But again, how many times have we done something working on cars, even on a 12-volt battery, and we're charging it, we disconnect a charger or there's a spark, and that can ignite the battery, right? We know that. Or And again, that won't cause an arc blast or arc flash, but that could cause severe acid burns and other problems. So from my experience... Get the certification, learn this, become part of it. And it's a great way to go.
0: Perfect way to end this episode, Corey. You scared the crap out of me. (laughs) Uh, 740 miles. I'll go to bed thinking of that tonight. Hmm. But sometimes we need a little fear that generates respect in order to get things done.
1: Let me just close on this. I mentioned that the manufacturers have done some phenomenal work here in making redundant systems that in all of my research, I mean, these systems are designed to help maintain that safety. There's a lot that the techs can do, a lot that you can do to help maintain the safety within the shop and with other people and just respect it and enjoy this. Don't be afraid of it. It's nothing to really be afraid of. Just respect it.
0: Thank you. A perfect end. Corey Glassman, electric vehicle consultant with ASC that on his own back carried the XEV test to fruition. Well, thank you so much for being here. And look at, did you learn anything? Listen to learn just one thing. Well, if you did, and I know you did, go out and get it done. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.